Namaste, everyone. This is Baba Shivaram Sarasvati, and you're listening to a series of my teachings on the Vigana by Rabba Tantra. Uh, I'm using an English translation by Lauren Roche, uh, published in a book, The Radiant Sutras. And these are 100. I think that's a, a, a fantastic translation, uh, by the way, and I highly recommend the book. Uh, it's, it's the best English translation. There are several available, but that was the best one, uh, I think, that I looked at. So this is a conversation between Lord Shiva as Bhairava and uh, Parvati, his wife, as Devi or as the goddess in the text. And uh, we can kind of think of the goddess as interviewing Lord Shiva on paths to enlightenment on our behalf, right? Because when when Parvati asks Shiva a question, we know it's not because she doesn't know something. She's kind of interviewing Lord Shiva for us, and this is a magnificent text. Uh, it comes from the non-dual Shaiva tradition uh, of Kashmiri Shaivism. Uh, there are as many paths, I'm sure we've all heard it, there are as many paths to the divine as there are seekers of the divine. But... And ultimately, we're all going to have to take our own paths. But we can look at these sutras, like these, these 112 sutras, as uh, templates that can help us to craft our own path to enlightenment. And uh, probably any one of these 112 could get you right straight to full uh, union with the Supreme Divinity. Uh, but if you're like most people you're going to end up taking bits and pieces from different paths and cobbling them into your own path. So we use the past not as a roadmap, but as a set of instructions. Um, so before we begin these meditations, I just want to very briefly uh, review the most important concept as far as I'm concerned in all of spirituality. Uh, the essence of Tantra. All beings are manifestations of divine consciousness, living in varying degrees of ignorance. Uh, what kind of ignorance? Ignorance of their true nature. Uh, all of our limitations. If we're little incarnations of the Supreme Divinity, why don't we have like the self-control and the power and, and, and so forth of deities? Well, it's because uh, we're like young princes and princesses that were kidnapped at birth and don't know who we are. We are, we're not children of the divine. We are the divine, each and every one of us. Yet we're cloaked in an arbitrarily constructed identity that places limitations on our infinite potential. And so the, the essence of the Tantra is that uh, the entire world, every, the, the Saha world, the world of objects and relations, the, the, the world empirically believe, we, we believe to be the real world, it's a stage. It's a stage on which we experience our karma. And all of these objects that we become so attached to are really just stage props. Uh, 
they have nothing to do, you know, with the theme of, of the play, as it were. So uh, as we shed our ignorance, we also shed our attachment to illusions, and we embrace our true nature. The, the deities that we think of commonly as the deities, Lord Shiva, Parvati, uh, 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 Kali, Durga, Lord Ganesha, these are perfected manifestations of supreme divinity uh, manifesting in duality for our benefit. I think of the deities, yes, as objects of worship, yes, as loving, yes, as all of the characteristics you can give them, but really the, the deities for us in this part of, of our, our journey are coaches. And like all coaches, they want their, 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 their team to win. They want their, you know, the, the, the runner they're training. They want the runner to run fast. Lord Shiva uh, wants us to make it. And that's kind of a point of distinction, I think, between this path and some of the paths of the past. So in this dialogue, we're going to see Lord Shiva and Parvati discussing past to enlightenment. And we're going to get some incredible clues as to the true nature of reality as we study these. So with that, we will begin our study of this week's segment, this week's sutra. And may you profit greatly from the hearing and study of these sacred words. Om Namah Shivaya. And now, finally, after the last two shows of really trying to dig into Parvati's questions. We have come to Shiva's responses. Shiva, as Bhairava, replies, Beloved, your questions touch the heart of wonder, the path of intimacy with all life, we weaving together body and soul, sex and spirit, individuality and universality. This is my cave of secrets. Your inquiry has led you here. I feel your fingers on my pulse. Come with me. Leave behind everything you know. The teachings about me are a light show put on by the celestial musicians, as beautiful and insubstantial as clouds. Elaborate rituals and garish images may be useful in meditation when your mind is whirling with thoughts of sex, money, and power wandering like an elephant in heat. Go ahead and use these tools. Yet no, beating drums and blaring trumpets cannot summon the one who is already present. I am not a collection of incantations known only to experts. I am not a ladder to be climbed, a sequence for pierce, <coughs> piercing energy centers in your body. I am not to be found at the end of a long road. I am right here. All the stories about me are like tales you tell naughty children. The goblin is going to come gobble you up. Or some, or else soothing fables mothers uh, spin as they hand out sweets. Leave these fantasies behind. Let me tell you of the luminous path. I am beyond measure. I cannot be calculated. 
I am beyond space and time. I am beyond ancient and beyond the future. There are no directions to me. I am always here. I am the embrace of your most intimate experience. Though I am beyond the intellect, I am not beyond your daring. I am the nourishing state of fullness that is the essence of soul. You belong to me, and I am yours. My nature is spotless, completely uncontaminated. I am not covered up, not even by a billion galaxies. So who is there to worship and adore? There is no one to appease. Sacred texts sing of my reality, but I cannot be found in them, for I am the one listening. I am always closer than breath. Heat and fire are not two separate things. These are just verbal distinctions. The goddess and the one who holds her are one and the same. We are inseparable. The way to me is through her. I am everywhere, infusing everything. To find me, become absorbed in intense experience. Go all the way. Be drenched in the energies of life. Enter the world beyond separation. The light of a candle reveals a room. The rays of the sun reveal the world. So does the feminine divine illumine the way to me. So now we have Lord Shiva's response to Parvati's very wonderful questions. And let's just go through some of this uh, in detail because uh, this conversation is taking place essentially for our benefit, for our instruction. Uh, so Lord Shiva, as Bhairava says, Beloved, your questions touch the heart of wonder, the path of intimacy with all life, we weaving together body and soul, sex and spirit, individuality and universality. So through this Tantra, Parvati has posed questions that are that are gonna predispose us to seeing past the apparent contradictions and distinctions and, and false dichotomies at truth. These are teachings that if I meditate upon them diligently will be like golden threads woven into the fabric of reality for me. And that reality is going to be a, a happier reality and a, a more gratifying experience. Lord Shiva says, this is my cave of secrets. Your inquiry has led you here. I feel your fingers on my pulse. This is exactly what we want Lord Shiva to respond to us with. Uh, our inquiry 
has led us to Lord Shiva's cave of secrets. And listen to this verse. I feel your fingers on my pulse. So Lord Shiva is aware that we're seeking him, intimately aware of it. And when he feels his fingers, uh, our fingers on his pulse, he responds, come with me, leave behind everything you know. What a remarkable response. Truly godlike. Come with me, leave behind everything that you know. Wow. So in the Sadhu monk, with the loincloth and the staff, uh, unattached, you have the embodiment of leave behind everything you know. Uh, this is the this is the experience that we're seeking. Whether or not we're in a loincloth on a dusty road in India, this is the calling. Leave behind everything you know. Now, this doesn't mean we're all going to flee to the mountains and, and, and set up a cult. No. It means that I'm going to abandon my prior assumptions, my prior unchallenged assumptions about reality, and develop an openness to Lord Shiva's teachings. He can deliver them in so many different ways, sometimes through scripture, sometimes through chanting the puja, sometimes through the long, uh, uh, very intensive experience of the fire sacrifice, sometimes in interactions with other beings. But he always says, regardless of the, of the means, come with me, leave behind everything you know. Abandon your prior assumptions. These are like cataracts on the eyes of the soul. They prevent me from seeing what's there. They're just exactly like cataracts. They're accumulations from the past that are clouding my perception of the present. So all of these spiritual practices, that the, the, the mantra recitation, pujas, fasting, uh, uh, fire sacrifices, study of scripture, uh, kirtan, singing, all of this, certainly, certainly all forms of charity, all of these are ways of leaving behind everything we thought we knew so that we can see a, a brighter, more real reality. Lord Shiva says, the teachings about me are a light show put on by the celestial musicians as beautiful and insubstantial as clouds. Okay, so from here, there, there are several several passages where Lord Shiva is going to draw a distinction between uh, Lord Shiva who exists here in manifestation in samsara, but also exists unmanifest, yet, yet distinct from the Supreme, uh, from the Brahman, 
in an even more unimaginable way. Lord Shiva is, is wildly huge. So he's just reminding us gently, there's nothing wrong with, with teachings. Uh, there's nothing wrong with pujas. There's nothing wrong with kirtan. But we have to remember that these are tools that we're using to seek Shiva. These aren't embodiments of Shiva. Uh, I don't know. I guess in a way, if you're one of those people that isn't exactly crazy about uh, ritual worship, and you sit through the Shiva Puja on Shivratri, uh, and you're not you're just not attracted to it. The good news is that's one of many paths to God, right? And Shiva's telling us he's a lot bigger than the rituals or the teachings or the music or the culture associated with them. Uh, the only limitations of Shiva are those that that we've kind of pasted onto him, and, and those aren't real. Uh, the teachings about me are a light show put on by the celestial musicians as beautiful and insubstantial as clouds. So I certainly don't think Lord Shiva is discouraging us from scholarly study, but he's reminding us to keep it in perspective. We don't want to confuse the object of study with the study itself. Lord Shiva says, elaborate rituals and garish images may be useful in meditation when your mind is whirling with thoughts of sex, money, and power, wandering like an elephant in heat. Go ahead and use these tools. Yet no, beating drums and blaring trumpets cannot summon the one who is already present. Oh boy, now that is a content-rich passage. Elaborate rituals may be useful when your mind is whirling with thoughts of sex, money, and power, wandering like an elephant in heat. And, and that's so especially true right at the beginning. This is why ritual service to the deity, whether it takes the, the Tibetan forms or the, the more Indian Hindu, Hindu uh, tantric forms, ritual service to the deity is a subduing of the, of the ego to the tradition. And it's very important. It's a part of becoming a tradition. So when it is 2 o'clock in the morning and you're out there doing the prescribed fire sacrifice, like you did the day before, and the day before, and the day before, and the day before. The ego, what we think of in the West, is the ego. What in tantric terms would be the shroud of ignorance of false identity around the divine consciousness manifesting in us. Uh, that's being subdued by obedience. The, the thing, like traditionally when someone would get a, a puppy in the West, the first thing to do would be, well, you have to housebreak the puppy and you have to, uh, you, you teach the puppy to heal and to sit and to stay and to lay down and to roll over. When I began my intensive relationship with Lord Shiva, I think the first lesson I had to learn 
was sit. And the second lesson I had to learn was stay. And that meant whether it were uh, two hours, five hours, or 18 hours, sit and stay, basic obedience. And then from there, once, once the ego was left like a, a wandering elephant, an elephant uh, in, in heat, once the attachments began to subside because of obedience to the norms of the tradition, you're going to do this puja every day. You're going to do this fire sacrifice every day. You're going to do this many mantras of this type every day, just as like all who have come before you have done. Whether you like it or don't like it or you're tired or you're bored or whatever, you're just going to do it. That's the prescription. If you do this, we know that a certain outcome will happen. And so you stick through it. But it's not the pujas and the fire sacrifices themselves. These are like mallets forging the hot iron of the young sadhu or of the, the seeker. But there is, there, is, there is a developmental stage beyond ritual. But it begins with the elaborate rituals uh, because they are useful in meditation when our minds are th whirling with thoughts of sex, money, and power, wandering like elephants in heat. And Lord Shiva says, go ahead and use these tools. Yet no, beating drums and blaring trumpets cannot summon the one who is already present. You see, there, there is... There, uh, in the purificatory rituals, of, of my favorite uh, version of the Shiva Puja, the the pre, the the sadhu the the yogi washes their hands ritually while reciting cleansing mantras, but then at the end of all of that, uh, exclaims, "All this is God." So in other words as a gesture of respect for the divine, I'm washing my hands as I make, prepare to make offerings at the altar. However, even now, when I'm washing my hands out of respect, uh, the pure and the impure are all still manifestations of divine consciousness. If I'm going to remember the, if I'm going to look for a non-dual perspective, there is nothing that is not divine consciousness. So the pure and the impure cease to have a distinction. And so these, these rituals, as you practice them and you mull over in your head, why am I doing this and what does this mean? The ego is subdued and the, the, the rajasic tendencies are subdued the heat cools, you settle down. When you think about getting up the from the altar, you think, well, where am I going to go from, from here? What, where, where can I go where you know, I, will, I will receive benefits like I receive from being right here? And so you know, you, your meditation process is less like trying to herd cats and more like a you know, kind of a more orderly, uh, 
uh, submission to the divine just by the simple act of sitting still and focusing the attention on activities associating associated with contacting the divine, realizing the divine. And at the end of the road, and the end of the at the end of the road is always today, and there's always another end of the road tomorrow. But at the end of the road, you see, uh, when I'm when I'm meditating on Shiva's very real presence in the lingam on the altar. In the process of that meditation, I realize that yes, he's present in a special way here in the lingam. But where is it? that the all-pervading divine consciousness from which everything arises, where is it that that is not? So Shiva reminds us as, as, a, as a symbol of, of the, the Brahman, uh, beating drums and blaring trumpets cannot summon the one who is already present. Yeah, and, and there's another. There's a beautiful part in the Shiva Puja where you offer Lord Shiva a seat. And I was fortunate enough to find a small throne that I could actually offer to him during the ritual, and it's a beautiful thing. And what am I? What am I doing? I'm a spiritual child practicing the offering to Shiva, so that I can get into the habit of thinking oh, something I like to do is to offer what I have to, to Shiva. And he returns it as prasad. But offering a throne to Lord Shiva, in, in a way, is, is absurd, because he can, he'll certainly be present in a special way there on, on the throne, but he's present everywhere. There's nowhere that he, that he is not. Uh, Shiva continues, I am not a collection of incantations known only to experts. I am not a ladder to be climbed, a sequence for piercing energy centers in your body. I am not to be found at the end of a long road. I am right here. So today, right now, is the end of the long road but we're always at the end of the long road. We don't... Mm, there's, a, there's a great fascination in humanity, I, I think really cross-culturally, with this idea of this, this uh, bloodletting, this endurance uh, uh, ordeal that you go through to get to God. All cultures have their own versions of it. And that doesn't mean that you can't get to God through some sort of an ordeal. But I don't, I don't, the, the tantras remind us, Lord Shiva in these sacred passages just now, reminds us, Lord Shiva does not, I mean, he's, he's much more reasonable than that. He's offering a, a lot better deal than that. He said, look, you can find me at the end of the long road. But you can also find me right now. Right now. Om Namah Shivaya. Well, he's as present as he's ever going to be. How aware of that presence am I willing to be? Rituals are magnificent. I do love them. I, I always will. 
It's always going to be a part of my daily routine. I love pujas. I love mantra. But they're tools. They are not Shiva. They are tools not to find Shiva, but to realize that Shiva's right here. Not to make him present, but to become aware of that presence. And he's so beautifully reminding us of that in no uncertain terms, um, right here, right here in this. And, and the, you know, the mantras, the mantras. I love mantras. I'm not anti-mantra. It's a limb of yoga. Uh, but I've seen, I've seen, you know, obsessions develop with them to the point where if someone gives you a, a certain mantra, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change your karma somehow. And my beloved guru tells us, he told a very simple story. Um, and I've heard other versions of it ever, other, where, other places, so I think it's permeate, permeated a, a lot of the, the consensus of, of Indian sadhus. Uh, there was a, a great guru when he was traveling through, he was on a tour, and he passed through a remote village, um, and there was a, a young man who was regarded as of uh, lower than average cognitive prowess, uh, a simpleton of sorts. And he, as he saw this great guru come into the village, he, he ran to him and he said, please, please give me a mantra uh, by which I may attain enlightenment. And the guy looked at the, at the, the simple young man, the guru looked at him and said, oh, well, um, uh, just uh, say your mantra, and then the next time I come through, we'll talk. And the young man had no mantra, but he did obey the instructions explicitly. So he went into his hut and he chanted uh, for two years, my mantra, my mantra, my mantra, my mantra. And when the guru came through the next time, a couple of years later, he went to visit the young man because the, the village people told him, uh, this guy is really kind of weird. He's in there floating above his uh, asana, above his, his uh, sheepskin uh, chanting. And the, the guru opens the door to the hut and he sees him chanting, my mantra, my mantra, my mantra, my mantra. So I think the point of this is that uh, it's not so much what mantra we're chanting, it's that we're chanting it with great diligence. And we transcend, when we hit the, the barrier of, oh, this is boring, we, we break through it. Uh, and we find, we find that Lord Shiva doesn't have secret passcodes. That doesn't, that doesn't match with, um, with my idea of a nice guy. Like, you have to know somebody to get the secret password, and then you'll have like an extra close relationship with Lord Shiva. I'm going to be honest with you. 
Om Namah Shivaya has always done it for me. I've, I love a whole bunch of different mantras. Certainly love the Kali mantras. I love different Lord Shiva mantras. But Om Namah Shivaya is what's inscribed on my heart, and that's the song that my heart plays day and night. And it is a light by day, and a, a shade from the sun by day, and a, a light by night. It's everything. But there's nothing secret about it. There's nothing exclusive or elitist about it. Lord Shiva sees me in all of my simplicity, and he allows me to approach him with just the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya. I think giving me no less, no less attention and love than any any other, uh, you know, mantra. I, I, that's there's nothing wrong with these other mantras, but there's no secret passcodes. Uh, the The passcode is 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 a heart yearning with love for Shiva and 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 Durga Ma is the passcode. Bhava is the password. Um, a sequence for piercing energy centers in your body. Well, Kundalini Yoga is excellent and it's a great tool, but along with these other tools, Lord Shiva's going through the whole list of tools and telling us uh, these are tools that you can use to improve your relationship with me, but do not confuse me with the tools. And we do need that reminder, right? Because if you're, you're getting into your practices and you're feeling you're having wonderful results and you're getting great feedback from the universe and we can confuse the practice uh, with the object of the practice. I am not to be found at the end of a long road. I am right here. So may it be for you, each of you listeners, may Shiva be right there for each of you right now in the vastness and, and infinite potential of the present. Om Namah Shivaya.